Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck, coming at you live from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, located right here in Pittman, New Jersey, as we do each and every week. We got our usual booth. I got a brand new sour, the No OJ, No Straw. It's delicious. And I got the good Dr. Frey with me. How you doing, Jason? Doing pretty good so far. Um, we're at a bit of a milestone, right? This is our 30th episode. 30. I, I, honestly, for me, it's, it's shocking. You know, um, you know, I didn't think we were going to make 10. Right. And I remember having the same exact conversation when we made 10. And here yeah. we are now, yeah. milestone 30. <laughs> and I think one of, the, one of the original goals of this podcast was to just, you know, provide a little bit of education, shed right. some light on some different injuries. And I got to admit, I'm learning just as much because we had this injury to Sam Darnold. Right. We find out it's a fractured scapula. And right. I'm thinking to myself, scapula, part of the shoulder complex. Yeah. I got Dr. Frey with me every week. We're good to go. Let's right. start planning. Yeah. And you stop me right away and say, no, no, no. Yeah. This, this is bigger than just a, a normal shoulder thing. We got to bring in, we got to bring in some higher people. So who do you got with us tonight? So I'm really excited to be able to introduce a, a buddy of mine, a former resident with me at Monmouth Medical Center, Dr. Larry Bloomstein. Larry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, uh, really excited to be here. And congratulations on your 30th episode. Thanks, Doc. Um, yeah, so my background, I did a, obviously the training that you and I did too long ago. I think we finished <laughs> in, I think you graduated 2008, yeah. right? And I was 2009. That's right. I completed a trauma fellowship at a large trauma center in Tennessee, a part of the Campbell Clinic, yeah. which focuses on, you know, these more odd broken bones and not the straightforward common ones we typically hear of. That's, and that's one of the reasons why we got you here. But what'd you do after that? Then I worked for a few years doing solely, uh, um, only orthopedic trauma, mm -hmm. and um, I worked for a little while at Cooper University Hospital in right. Camden, New Jersey, right and then down at the Jersey road from Shore, yeah. another trauma center. Yeah, you guys are right, right in your backyard at yeah. Cooper. And then I did a second uh, fellowship and also foot and ankle at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Making you one of the most marketable orthopedic surgeons in the country. And uh, with, with those gifts, uh, where, where did you wind up? So now I'm at uh, a group in uh, Middletown in Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, called the Orthopedic Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Center. And I'm mainly actually transitioning away from some of the trauma work and focusing more on foot and ankle. I get it, man. Different lifestyle. <laughs> yes, the lifestyle is a lot easier. Dr. Bloomstein, we're happy to have you on. Let's kick it off. Let me just recap forever for all our listeners real quick. Sam Darnold, obviously a big offseason acquisition for the Carolina Panthers, makes the transition from the Jets where he wasn't having the success that I think the Jets were hoping for. Has a bit of a resurgence early on in the season for the Panthers. They're off to a 3-0 start. I think lighten they, it up. Lighten it up. They lose to our Eagles. Um and then he kind of, you know, goes on, you know, a different path. He goes down a little bit. And then Halloween, week uh, nine, I'm sorry, week eight of the NFL season. Yeah. Takes a big hit against his division rival, the Atlanta Falcons. Leaves the game with what was reported as a concussion and a right shoulder injury. Through all our research, we don't know anything more than what that injury Suspicious, was. Suspicious, Suspicious, I would think, right? <laughs> he is limited in practice all week, but he comes back. He plays week nine versus New England. Mm -hmm. uh, they get blown out, but he finishes the game, and then there's all this concern. Dr. Bloomstein, let's start off with why is this such a unique injury when it comes to? Because I'm not, I'm not, you know, spoiling anything at this point. We all know it's a fractured scapula. Why is that so significant? 
That's significant because when you ask me about the times I've seen a scapula fracture, it's been just a tremendous amount of energy that caused it. It's, for example, people falling off a motorcycle, uh, people falling from a height, uh, people ejected out of a car where, like, the back of their body has been struck, or or their arm was pulled in a manner that that's just way contorted. Mm-hmm. So it's surprising that they, these players are getting hit so hard that they could break a scapula bone, which, just for the layman's terms, is, is the shoulder blade bone in the back mm-hmm. behind the shoulder. Yeah. And what does the scapula do? So the scapula is a very important bone. It's this triangular-shaped bone that has a gliding surface with the back of the rib cage. And at the, if you picture a triangle, the top right corner of the triangle, or top left, which on the upper outside corner, forms a very shallow cavity for the shoulder joint, right. which is where it's basically a very shallow ball and socket. But the scapula has an enormous function, and there's actually 18 different muscle groups, and some are ones I think most of the listeners have heard of, which right. are big ones like, like the deltoid muscle, the pec minor muscle, part of the latissimus dorsi muscle in the back, uh, and uh, the trapezius muscle in the back of the neck, all have attachments on the scapula, as well as the rotator cuff muscles. And they aid in allowing the hand to move in pretty much like 80% of the space around the human body. And it's through a very complicated set of relaxation of one muscle group and contraction of another and then stabilization of another that allows different activities. For example, throwing a football is is, uh, a very good example of a complicated movement that we kind of take for granted and these players make it look like they're not even thinking about it when they do it. Right. The other thing I was talking about, these are high-energy injuries typically, and there's usually, if if you have a scapula fracture, there's usually an associated injury, and head injuries are common, so it's real suspicious that he was taken out with a concussion, and then he has the scapula fracture, really indicating that he got hit very, very hard. Right, right. So the suspicion for an injury to the scapula is high. Yeah, and at, at that first week on 1031. Right, and then, you know, frequently they're associated with rib fractures, and they're associated with, you know, I guess, not, not as frequently, but occasionally, like brachial plexus injuries. But like you said, hand, head injuries and lung injuries. Is it safe to assume at this point, you know, that uh, he didn't have any of those other additional injuries? But, but yeah, I mean, you make a really good point here. That's when the concussion happened. That's when, the, that's when he absorbed all the velocity. You know, maybe that is when the initial injury um, happened, week eight, not week nine. And that gets back to my question is, how did he present to the medical staff and then therefore how did he convince them that he was going to play in week nine? Right, Jason. That's also a question I have. And then I think Steve might be able to shed more light on the head injury and the concussion. But I wonder if a scapula fracture might not present, especially if it's a not-too-displaced one, as much of an injury. And we call it when there's a distracting injury, like a head injury, we tend to focus more on that because that seems to be more of an acute problem. And then you kind of ignore the shoulder issue. And I'm wondering if maybe his shoulder just didn't hurt that much when when he had the head injury and maybe you can't maybe i'm not sure maybe you can't actually clear someone to return to play in the setting of the head injury and the shoulder injury i i just can't speak to that yeah I yeah what if steve has any thoughts no no so that you know there's a protocol for for the head injury and the nfl takes him right through the protocol and um i agree with you that that you know there's the the head injury is the distracting injury right that's going to take the primary focus and maybe they were just sort of pushing the shoulder aside there's no reason they couldn't clear the shoulder in the meantime, you know, my, my gut, okay. my, my gut here is that, 
um, his pain wasn't severe enough or they were just so focused on the on the head. And we're making a big leap here. Mm. We really don't know if this actually did happen in week eight or if it actually or if it happened in week nine. But but if it, if it did happen in week eight, I could I could see how that would sort of easily slide by. Um, but there there was nothing precluding the the, the medical team from from um, checking out the shoulder or clearing the shoulder. And in uh, truth be known, you know, I think that if it, that injury was there. I think it's pretty unlikely that they would have cleared him to start that mm-hmm. game. That was my next question. In week number nine, yeah. but he did. He did start it. Like, like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you like? Is that a, a, like a like? Is this a you know kind of a superhuman thing that he's pulling off? Um, you know, we were just we just went over. We went through uh, Russell Wilson's um, uh, finger injury, and kind of really uh, a few weeks ago talked about how there's no way that guy's getting back. You know, before week number six or what, and then here he is coming back in you know week number four or something, kind of define all the odds. Is this just another matter of these guys, these athletes? Not, I don't want to say being superhuman, but 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 being just more impressive than the average individual and pulling off things that they're not able to pull off, or is a scapular fracture that's maybe not displaced actually just not that bad of an injury at that point? What do you think? Yes, Steve. I was also wondering, perhaps, is it possible that maybe there was a little hairline crack right. that didn't fully disrupt the scapula that happened on 1031? Right. And then I think he was limited in practice, so mm. he probably felt reasonably good to proceed. And then it, it may have taken just one pretty good hit where if he fell on that shoulder, yeah. that that would complete it and then cause it to be a little displaced. Right. And then that would be the thing that would make him unable to perform. Yeah. Right. What is needed to to diagnose a scapular fracture? I feel like I know the answer, but I, I didn't start this episode off great because I already didn't know this was going to a trauma. <laughs> so maybe I don't know. Yeah. But what, what do we need? What do we need? <laughs> What's the first thing we order here, Larry? It's a great question. Um, if it's an obvious fracture, it's interesting that you would think a plain X-ray would show it. Uh, however, the scapula overlies the rib cage and the lung fields, and you can easily miss a scapular fracture on a plain X-ray. Um, they can be very subtle. Uh, probably the CAT scan would be the next yeah. study of choice, and then the final thing, which I think is a better look at soft tissues, but also certainly shows the bone, would be an MRI. So it's not unreasonable at this point because reports came out that he. He, meaning Sam Darnold, went through one to two days of thorough testing right. to come to this diagnosis. So that adds up to you then. I thought that took a long time because mm-hmm. I assumed all the tests I mentioned, X-ray, CAT scan, or MRI, that they have readily available at their fingertips. So right. I was surprised that it took two days. I'm, I'm guessing they had the answer before then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing, you know, the x-rays happened. They had a suspicion. They did the CT immediately. Um, they knew what they were dealing with, and then they probably followed up with an MRI just to, you know, check for any other potential associated injuries, make sure there's no pneumothorax, make sure there's not a lung contusion, or, or, or you know, God knows what is, is, is my guess. And then, and then they released the information is my guess on this particular scenario. You know, I got to tell you, uh, typically, and, you know, I don't see a whole lot of these, right? Like, um, I'm, not, I'm not in a trauma setting, and it's, don't get me wrong, it can happen in sports. We just saw one happen now. But I don't see a ton of these. But typically, MRI is not part of my algorithm there. Um, maybe it's just because I, I feel like, yeah, right, you, get, you, do the, you do the x-ray, you do the CT. I feel like MRI is just special to these guys, and, you know, they get pretty much every injury gets an MRI. Do you think it's typically part of a standard workup, an MRI? I agree with you. It's not initially. Um, plain x-rays and CAT scan 
and then if perhaps you don't see anything or you find something and then want to know more about the soft tissue, you do an MRI. But, right, it's not part of the standard workup. So now what, so the, the, the scapula has multiple parts here. If you don't mind talking about a couple of the, 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 the different parts of the anatomy, the different parts that make up the scapula here. And then what, you know, again, now this is pure speculation, but based on the fact that they're treating this non-operatively, uh, venture a guess as to what part of the scapula you think is actually injured. So most scapular fractures are treated non-operatively. Right. Now, remember I said if you look at the scapula, it's this triangle, and then at the top corner on the outside, at the one apex of the triangle, is the shoulder joint where, where the glenoid is. Yeah. If the fracture line displaces the joint surface, that would be a reason to fix the scapula. Or if the entire joint surface has broken off yeah. and its alignment has changed, that would be another reason to For fix certain. it because you want to restore the shoulder joint so it glides and functions appropriately. I think in a previous episode, we speculated that that may have been the injury or, or that happened with Juju Smith-Schuster and one of the reasons why he was in surgery so quickly after his dislocated shoulder, if he knocked off a big piece of bone. Um, but, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on, go on. Oh, no, that, was, that was actually all I was going to talk about in terms of the, the, like, the operative. Those are the only two operative reasons I can think of for a scapula. Yeah, and you know, and I think I think if it goes into the neck too, so so, you know, the scapula is this flat bone that's in the back there, but then it's got this finger that points forward called the coracoid, and um, you know, those are often also treated non-operatively, and then there's the glenoid which we just talked about, but I, I think occasionally the fractures that go into the neck of the glenoid, um, if that's if that bugger like so if the whole glenoid is so um, if the whole glenoid because the neck is actually broken is is actually even if the fracture doesn't go into the glenoid but it's rotated. Right, that's right. That's what yeah. I was referring to. If, you, if it either goes through the joint, which right. is the glenoid, or the entire joint, which means the glenoid neck broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It, still, it still puzzles me as to why the, these testing, you know, the, the CAT scan, the, the uh, X-ray, MRI, whatever it was that they did, why wasn't that taken after the Falcons game and picked up on the scapular fracture before he went into the game with, with New England? whether it was how he was presenting or, yeah, I guess, Dr. Uh, Bloomstein, like, could we have avoided this outcome had we had known it before the New England game? Yeah, Jason, I agree. It's puzzling. If he had shoulder pain and they mm. have these tests at their fingertips, it yeah. seems that you would do those tests immediately. Right. And where where is exactly the pain, Doc? I mean, is it literally, like, I know you can't see me and none of our listeners can, but is it is it, <laughs> is it, is it, is it your shoulder blade? Like, is it reaching behind your back? Is that where the pain is? Or is it present in another area? It's right on the shoulder blade. Yeah. So it, it's right, if you can picture someone's shoulder blade, it's, you would push on that and it would hurt. And it depends if it goes more, you know, the scapula is a large bone and it goes all the way from the shoulder, almost like two thirds of the way over to the midline of the spine. And the break, we don't really have this information, but it could be anywhere in that space. But if you push on it, that's where the pain would be. And yeah. it's somewhere along that bone. I'm just picturing, that, you know, if I had an athlete telling me they had pain back there, what else can it really be? And I'm probably sending that to my team docs, and therefore I'm thinking something else is going on. Or does this get back to what you said? Was it just not that significant at that time? It was a hairline thing, and he exacerbated the issue by playing against New England. Right. That's. I, I think my other side of this, I imagine the sports medicine doctors, uh, sports medicine orthopedics, and Steve can probably speak to this too, see a lot of contusions mm -hmm. and a right. lot of muscle strains. These yeah. are large muscle groups. 
in the back, like the, you know, the trapezius muscle and the latissimus muscles and the deltoid muscle and even the triceps muscles all attached to the scapula. And I'm sure they're all sore, too, after throwing a football right. and getting hit. Yeah. Yeah, and just... I'm not sure what the normal workup is every time a player just says, you know, they have some pain when they move their arm and it's over, over these big muscles in the back. Yeah, yeah, you're just you're just thinking he tweaks something. Mm-hmm. You're pushing around back there, and yeah, you're not you're probably not super worried about it until until it really becomes a lot worse. The pain yeah. becomes much more significant, and so so you know I could see how it would, you know, unfortunately I hate to say it, I can see how it could easily be missed. Again, I don't know that it was missed, right. but I can see know, how it yeah. could easily be missed. So now he goes and he plays, um, and, and and things they get worse. Still, he got through. Game like 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 in, in, let's say it even let's say let's say it didn't happen week eight but it actually right. did happen week nine they're they're speculating it happened in the second quarter he still finished the game is that surprising Larry? It's really it's really surprising um, but then the other thing that's surprising I, I I've seen other players have a fracture and complete even on weight bearing bones I think Donovan McNabb right. had a fibula fracture in the in the playoffs mm-hmm. right. Um, just happened I, I with Charlie years, Morton like, as a pitcher in the World Series. Just happened with Charlie Morton. Yeah, he just got right. He just yeah. got hit by the ball and then right. continued pitching. Yeah. Right. And finally got pulled out when he's like, I can't do it anymore. But right. he went for a little while. Right. Yeah. Right. Before right. it started bugging him. Yeah. Let's fast forward now. <clears throat> current time. Yeah. We we don't know Sam Darnold personally, but if he was here with us, how how is he doing now? What, what is his treatment like? Is he in a sling? Is he immobilized? Right. So the. Treatment is typically, uh, we, from what we know, it's, it basically says an incomplete fracture is all I could find, at least from reading on ESPN. So it's a fairly stable fracture. So the question is, if we move his shoulder, is, is it going to make it worse? Is the fracture line going to propagate? Are the two pieces going to separate? And I think the answer is no. Right. To, it's a pretty definitive no. So they're going to likely put him in a sling and put some ice on it and maybe some pain medication, maybe just anti-inflammatory like like uh, the non-steroidal medications. Yeah. And basically let him, after a week or two, if the pain's improving, start gently moving it. And first it would just be pendulum-type exercises where the arm hangs down and you gently start moving it and then slowly increase with assistance and maybe um, like pulley-type exercises where one hand can help the other uh, move and raise the arm up and basically gently try to regain all the motion back. I would say within the first two weeks in an NFL athlete, you'd probably start aggressively trying to get motion back. If everything's going according to the plan with the healing process, when would you, as the if you were the treating physician, allow him to start throwing a football, even at practice, uh, and, and nothing too strenuous? I would estimate around four weeks, and every fracture is different. So assuming sure. it's, it, his pain is pretty tolerable by four weeks and the fracture really is minimally or non-displaced, then I would think it would be safe around four weeks to begin throwing. Do you think if this was his non-throwing arm, it would have impacted or it would allow him to get back any sooner, or are you still going to take those same precautions? I would, pro- I would let him throw immediately, but I don't right. think I would let him play for at least a month. Right. Mm-hmm. They're said to be pretty well healed by six weeks, and yeah. I imagine in an NFL athlete you might be able to cheat them back, and the shoulder pads might offer enough protection over the scapula. Right. And that actually then lines up then because all reports indicate uh, that he could be out for four to six weeks, and that's kind of lining up to what you're saying. Yeah, the estimates seem mm-hmm. seem appropriate. 
you know, Sam Darnold, Darnold gets drafted uh, pretty high by the Jets a couple of years ago, right? And um, and it doesn't seem to go not not the trajectory the Jets were sort of hoping for. And you know, after a pretty promising start, I think, and after a few years, and I, to be honest with you, I thought he's still I thought he was a pretty good quarterback, but the team never really comes around and starts to win because of their Jets, which is not unlike the Mets. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, he gets traded to Carolina, and they start off phenomenally right they go they go they win their first three games they're starting off really well um and then truth be known that uh McCaffrey gets hurt right and <laughs> their trajectory changes a little bit and uh, they're not winning as many games right so so now uh Donald's out and and although some of the projections are that he'll probably be back or be cleared to play around week number six the the latest reports that I've read is that they're probably shutting him down for the rest of the season. So my my question for you, Larry, do you think that's more of a concern about this scapular fracture, or do you think that's more of an indictment of where he stands within the the the, the perspective of the team at this particular point? That's yeah, a tough question. I agree that, that I agree that I, I kind of have that similar question. Right. Although I think six weeks will like, pretty much bring him to the end of the season, I guess, unless they advance the playoffs. I guess if, if they continue playing like, past the new year, right. then I, I would err with with the second half of that more. Right. But otherwise, I, I think six weeks would take him to the end of the season right now. Although we're not a podcast that really dives into the sports aspects you know, altogether, I'll chime in with, I, I don't know if they signed Cam Newton back and are going to deal with that little bit of a media circus with his return to have Cam Newton then be the backup for Sam Darnold, the, you know, the, remainder, the remaining part of the season, whatever it is that Sam comes back. My guess is that he, they may have seen what they wanted or didn't see out of Sam Darnold and are realizing that he may not be the quarterback of the future. A lot of things, you know, ESPN, pardon the interruption, right. you know, all that stuff. Some of them are speculating whether or not we saw him in a Panthers uniform for the last time. Right, right. And, and I think that goes well beyond the, the scapular fracture at that point. Yeah, yeah. These don't become surgical cases all that often. Um, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I've, I, I, I've not fixed any of these in my career as, a, as an orthopedic surgeon. I, I do remember one case, and, 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 and Larry will remember uh, this particular doc from when we were residents, a guy named Dr. Chalnick, one of the guys that we worked with a lot, and one of these cases came on, and it's an interesting approach to fix it, Jude approach and whatnot. And uh, I remember I was all geared up and all excited to finally get in and be able to do one of these. And um, I, I actually don't remember, but it, it, he, was, Dr. Chalnick, was very happy to cancel the case when the guy was doing pretty well. So I think I think these guys surprise us and how well they do when you leave these fractures alone. Oftentimes, there are some that obviously you can't, but it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, how well people can do with with what you know what we otherwise just described a very important bone. Um, Larry, are there any deficits that we can anticipate or that Sam Dar- Darnold might have after this injury once he does heal from it? I honestly would expect him to have a 100% recovery. I don't think there'll be any long-term deficits. I, I do think in the short run there might be some weakness in the shoulder right. for the next three to six months, but I don't think like after six months, There'll be any residual. Yeah, my, my, my experience has been for the ones that I've treated that are, I've treated non-operatively, they all complain of crepitus. There's all this crunchiness and mechanical noise, and none of it hurts, but they all just kind of feel the crunchiness in their shoulders. They move around, but they can do just fine. Do you have? Have you had a similar experience? 
I agree. I completely agree. Dr. Bloomside, when these cases do go surgical, and I guess this could be a, a, a whole nother episode, so we, you can keep it as short as you'd like, but when, when you do have to go into the operating room, what is the overall goal? Are, are we just unionizing the fracture, and how is that done? That's a great question, Jason. So the, basically the goal in general is you have a broken bone, and depending on how many pieces, it could look like a whole jigsaw puzzle, or it could just be two clean pieces. The goal of the surgery is without disrupting too much of the soft tissues, so we want to work around the muscles. Right. Uh, we want to realign the bone back to the pre-existing anatomy as close as possible. And there's different ways we can hold bones together. Most commonly, we use metal plates and screws, and, mm -hmm. and we can basically try to manipulate the bones and key them in just like a puzzle piece mm -hmm. and see if we can realign them perfectly. And then we have different plates that we, we can, there are certain plates that we can actually contour and bend and make fit appropriately and try to actually have like sideways bends so they're not prominent and we can hide them underneath the, uh, the uh, musculature. But the, the issue also remains is this is a tricky bone to get to because of these really large muscles and 18 different muscles attached to this bone. And we don't want to convert one problem to another where, great, we put the bone all back together, but now right. the muscles that were attached to it don't work. Right. From a recovery standpoint for the ordinary person, at, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned you see these in motorcycle accidents, things like that. Yeah. What is the recovery from, a, from an operative case for the average person, and then if this was Sam Darnold, then thankfully it's not, but what would <laughs> Sam Darnold's recovery back to football look like in terms of, of length of time? I just want to clarify, Jason, do you yep. mean if, if assuming he had it was a operative? Right. If it was operative, any operative case. Operative. Yeah, if it's a normal person, right. how so long? Patients yep. in general, since, since they have a high rate of associated injuries, the amount of energy it takes to break this bone, they, tend, they typically are very sick. So there's associated like lung injuries, so they're having difficulty getting oxygen in, which then has an effect down the line in terms of the healing potential, like getting enough oxygen through the entire body. Right. So the recovery, if you're operating on one, would be a, a fairly long recovery. Right. And I, I suppose even if you had an isolated scapula fracture, like an isolated glenoid, which is an operative one, I, I would say it's it's like a six-month recovery to get back to reasonable function, like th in this case, throwing a football. Right. And it would be closer to nine months to a year before it, like all of the strength and endurance wow. has recovered. And I would also suggest that it probably would not achieve the full recovery. Yeah. It would probably have some motor deficits, weakness. So, so the outcome is probably not as good as if, if, if it's the ones that you, that you can treat non-operatively. Yes. Hey, so, so there's a couple other very serious injuries out there that can, that can happen um, associated with the scapula. Would, would you mind telling us a little bit about what, what, what exactly a floating shoulder is and what scapulothoracic dissociation is? Yes. Steven, thank you. Great question. Uh, the, we were talking about the glenoid neck, which is if you have a fracture at the base of that socket. Right. And if you have another fracture to the collarbone or the clavicle, which is actually the whole upper extremity, the shoulder, the scapula, is only attached to the main skeleton, which is the sternum bone. Its only attachment is through the collarbone, which is the clavicle. So if you have a broken clavicle and a, and a broken glenoid neck, which is the socket has dissociated, then you have something called a floating shoulder. And that, that's just a very, very unstable injury. Right. And there's an argument then to take 
a fracture of the collarbone, which is is definitely a um, hot topic if uh, if they should ever be fixed. Right. And there's, so there's an argument to fix that and go ahead and fix the glenoid uh, portion of the scapula to basically restabilize the shoulder, restore that arch, and then. Yes, and then the second question is this: a scapulothoracic dissociation. So oh, the boy. scapula bone is actually ripped off of the body, and so the only bony connection is of the arm is to the clavicle bone. And what's happened is there may be a clavicle fracture, there may be a torn ligament connecting the shoulder, right. but the whole arm has actually been ripped away, and. Then there's important blood vessels. Um, it's called the brachial plexus, which is the, the, the nerve nerves, complex, yeah. which is the whole upper extremities uh, movement and sensory function can all be stretched and, and often stretched beyond any repair. But in, in an effort to protect the nerves and the blood vessels and the, uh, you know, the arteries and, and also something called the lymphatic system, which drains excess fluid from the arm, we, we typically recommend fixing whatever we can to restore the stability of the shoulder if it's either the scapula is broken or if the uh, collarbone is broken or even part of the humerus bone can be broken in those cases. So yeah, and, and when we when we start talking about that stuff, I just I just asked that question for the sake of completeness. But we're really kind of getting outside the realm of sports medicine with that stuff, right? I mean that that's more your high energy trauma, right? Or, right. These are, they're way high energy, like like a motorcycle accident, uh, pedestrians hit by cars, that type of injury. Right. 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 Doc, I'm going to steal the conversation here for a bit because uh, we usually like to wrap up the episode where we talk a little bit about fantasy football. Heck and yeah. Dr. Frey and I have a, a big matchup this week. I don't know if you look too far ahead. <laughs> oh, I did not realize that. But uh, in our competitive uh, but fun recon league, yeah. Dr. Frey and I are tied for second place. I'm and tanking. I was up there. <laughs> I'm in a downward spiral. But we got a, we got a big week, you and I, so we'll talk about that next week. But sure. in the meantime, I think the biggest uh, – Injury relating to fantasy football or for the owners that have Aaron Jones running back for the Green Bay Packers. Add him to the list that we discussed two weeks ago where it's just nonstop, nonstop to the running backs this year. MCL sprain, we covered that a bit with some of the other guys, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Right. Anticipated being out one to two weeks. We don't know the details in terms of the degree of the sprain. Yeah. One to two weeks sound reasonable. In my opinion, yeah. Um, so, so it really depends on the grade of the injury. So the, the, the lower grade, grade one injuries are really one to two week injuries. Um, and typically you get back and you function real well and you don't wind up needing surgery. If you're going to injure any of your ligaments around your knee, typically that's the one you want to injure because you, you tend to bounce back the best and have the, mm -hmm. the, fewest, um, the fewest issues down the line. Um, for the higher grade MCL injuries, it does take longer. Larry, what do you think? Are you in agreement with that? I, I agree. If it's a, unfortunately, they don't always publish right, like the grade right. of the sprain. But if you just stretch the ligament a little bit, it's a grade one, and I would agree that recovery is one to two weeks. And there's probably ways the players can support it. I'm not sure if they're allowed to play with braces, but right, they, yeah. that might help. Yeah, yeah. You know uh, the answer. To another one. To be honest, it really doesn't affect fantasy football. But Colt yeah. McCoy, let, yeah. let's be honest. If you're playing Colt McCoy in your fantasy league, you're, <laughs> you, things. I mean, it's either a twenty team, it's either a twenty team league, or right. you're just really that desperate. But right. I thought his injury was interesting. Yeah, because I've seen this myself in the past. Old age. Oh, oh well, yeah, I mean, that, that too. But uh, it's listed as a pectoral injury, right. and I've seen complete ruptures of these, and I know that that's a terrible outcome. Sure. He left the game, didn't return. Yeah. If this is just a pec strain versus, you know, what could be coming of this. Now, we do know Kyler Murray's on his way back. Right. Um, pectoral injuries with no information, what, what can they range from? 
Yeah, no, you know, maybe it's just a contusion, and mm-hmm. it's not going to be a whole big. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a big deal at all. Maybe he partial tear or a strain of his pec major mm-hmm. muscle, or uh, more ominous, maybe he tore the pec major muscle where it attaches to the arm, to the humerus, and maybe he tore that off, in which case, at this point in his career, um, if he has that injury, I'd say that's probably the end of his NFL career. And last one, Chase Young. I mean, we know, I'm not a Redskins fan, interdivision rival of my Eagles, but right. hate to see that for a young up-and-coming star, sure. as talented as he is, ACL injury. We've covered it in multiple episodes. Right. Obviously done for the year. So I wish him nothing but the best going forward. Right, right, right. right. And a few guys potentially coming back at this point, though, finally. Um, you know, we had a Saquon Barkley kind of, I guess, on the cusp. Potentially yeah. Miles Sanders. I got him in, I got him, oh, I got Saquon in one of my leagues. I feel like he's been out six weeks for what we said at the time looked like a, a normal lateral ankle sprain, one to two weeks. Larry, care to comment as a Giants fan? Uh, with an ankle sprain, you know, those are really hard to predict, too, because they don't always give me the information. Right. If, it's, yeah. if it's a little bit of a high ankle sprain mixed in where it's stable, which even though it's stable, I think that really extends the time of the recovery just because of pain. Yeah. Uh, I find them hard to predict. Uh, but a regular ankle sprain, yes, should be one to two weeks. Yeah. I feel like we've had a few guys here now who've had these you know, quote-unquote lateral ankle sprains and we expect them one or, one or two weeks and all of a sudden next thing you know they're on the IR for right. three weeks right. or four weeks. And, and so, um, but, but yeah, yeah hopefully, hopefully we're seeing some of these guys starting to come back now. Well, this, this has been, Dr. Bloomstein, this has been great. Um, like we said at the beginning of the show, I feel like our listeners learn something each and every week, and I certainly did here. And we can't thank you enough for jumping in with us tonight. Well, Jason, thank you. Steve, Frey, really appreciate being here tonight. I'm honored to be part of the show, and thanks for including me. Thanks for coming well, on, fun. buddy. Good, good talking to you. Before we go ahead and close out our tab, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our eight locations and focused on you approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs. The Energy Lab, South Jersey's premier sports performance destination. Neck of the Woods, of course, for hosting us each and every week, located right here at 614 Lambs Road, Pittman, New Jersey. And our good friends at Timber Reel Productions, Joe Warner, our on-site producer, and Kyle Miller, our editor. Thanks a lot for listening. Episode 30, and we'll catch you guys next time. In the books.